Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Hi, let's do it. We are up to part three of our teaching series, mini-series, to see out the end of the normal year. <coughs> What's normal about this year? Uh, to see out our normal year uh, in response to a word brought to us by Nick Reski a few weeks ago, where he said that he sensed upon us a restorative spirit. And among other things, God had called us to be a restorative community. And so I took it upon myself. I thought, well, there's a great stories of restoration, of a community of restoration, prophecies like the one I just read, but there's a great story about restoration in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. I say book because originally it was one single book. It's one single story, Ezra and Nehemiah. We now have it as two. And in that story, we see three waves of restoration. God's people have been taken out of Jerusalem. The walls are destroyed. The temple is gone. The land has been raped, pillaged and plundered by their enemies. And they've been taken off into captivity. Well, after a period of time, God starts to restore that which was lost. The first wave of people come back with Zerubbabel and they rebuild the temple. They restore worship. 80 years later, a second wave of people come with a guy called Ezra and he restores the Word, teacher of the Word. And today we're going to see a third wave of restoration. God raises up a guy called Nehemiah because even though God's people, strictly speaking, should be living in the promised land again, there are still some of them stuck or staying here in Persia. Nehemiah is another one, okay? Nehemiah gets a heart from God to come and to play his part in the restoration of the city. And so the first wave restored worship, the second wave restored the word. Today we're going to see how this third wave, led by a man called Nehemiah, restores the walls of Jerusalem. Worship, word, walls, www.restorativechurch.now. Is that what I've called it? Okay, there you go. So if you have a Bible, turn to Nehemiah. It's the last narrative book of the Old Testament, so it's just before Psalms, and I'm going to open up here as we're introduced to the character Nehemiah. Uh, there is about a 12 or 13 year gap between Ezra finishing and then Nehemiah coming in. These two books together span around almost 100 years, basically, kind of thing. So there's a, these stories here uh, go over a whole 100 year period. Here we go, Nehemiah 1 and verse 1. These are the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah. Spat, spat on my Bible. In the, <laughs> in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's over here in Persia, okay, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them, tell me about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile in Jerusalem. How's it going down there or up there in Jerusalem? And they said to me, you know what, those who survived the exiles and are back in the province are actually in great trouble. They're in disgrace. Things aren't as they should be. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire and basically they've not yet been restored. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned, I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. The rest of the chapter records that prayer. Nehemiah was concerned about the state of 
his city. It mattered to him. It's good that there's worship, the temple had been rebuilt. It's good that Ezra was there restoring the festivals and obedience to the law. But what about the walls? It's not quite restored to its full glory yet, and it mattered to Nehemiah. In chapter 2, he takes that concern and comes up with a solution. Verse 1, in the month of Nisan, Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd not been sad in his presence before. And so the king asked me, hey, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of a heart. I was very much afraid. It's not good to be depressed in the presence of a king who can chop your head off. Get your depression out of here. Thank you very much. Off with his head. Okay, so he was afraid that the king caught him being emotional at work. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why, after all, should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? I prayed to the God of heaven and then I answered the king. (laughs) This is one of those, God help me, (gasps) here we go, like an instant thing, you know. Help me, Lord. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in your sight, then send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can play my part in God's restorative plans, so that I can rebuild it. Story of Nehemiah goes on. Basically, he's sent on his way by the Persian king. He comes down, or he comes up, as I said before, to Jerusalem. Uh, He inspects the walls. He inspects the gates of the city, and it's true. There hasn't been any repair work done on them and so God's people that are living here are effectively living out in farms and villages no one's actually living in the city the work the temples there but no one's really living in the city itself he rallies support he rallies the people he has finances sent with him and due to the, his strong leadership despite the fact that they have opposition from outside and from within issues within and issues without he keeps on persevering with them he says guys this is too important to stop and slow down And in 52 days, they rebuild the walls around this city. And the way they do it, as you read through the story, I love these chapters. It says there that tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, and man by man, shoulder to shoulder, they worked on their part of the wall and the whole thing got done. When every clan, every family, every man, stands shoulder to shoulder and plays my part in the journey it's amazing what can happen in 52 days okay so the whole city is restored because everyone essentially got on board the city is repopulated basically they send people one in every 10 people volunteer to live in the city to populate it again in chapter 8 a big church service is held Nehemiah's there Ezra's there these two big men are united in this massive church service they read from the scripture people start crying because they're like oh my goodness what has happened what did our ancestors do this is a terrible thing and Nehemiah says no today's not the day to cry today is the day to be happy because the joy of the Lord is your That's where the verse comes from. It is a restorative community that understands the only way that we can survive trouble, trial, testing, and tribulation, and the only way that we can thrive in testing trouble, trials, and tribulation is by understanding the joy of the Lord is my strength. A restorative community understands those words. This morning, I basically have one point to make. 
Oh, there are many sub, there are many sub points, don't you worry. Walls can be a good thing. Setting strong, secure, and certain boundaries is a healthy thing in our life. Setting boundaries at a community, in the culture, as a nation. What we allow in and what we don't. Setting boundaries in our business. My workplace. My church. My sporting club. My school. Setting boundaries is a healthy thing. Setting boundaries in my home is a good thing. And setting boundaries in my body, that God has called me to steward because it's actually His temple, is a very, very healthy thing. A restorative community is, among other things, a place of safety. And in order to be a place of safety, to restore others, it requires strong walls and well-guarded gates. That's the one point I want you to leave with if you can't handle anymore, just tune out now. But the point is that walls are a good thing. And I say that with a touch of seriousness because often walls get a bit of a bad rap. We love the story of Joshua blowing the trumpets and taking down Jericho. Why? Because those walls need to come down. Bring them down. No walls for Jericho. We love the story of Acts 9, where Paul was being stuck in Damascus. And so to get out of the city, they lowered him in a basket outside the walls. And Paul's like, yeah, those walls can't hold me back. We love the story of Paul and Silas in prison. And they're praying and they're worshipping at midnight and the gates open. It's like, bars cannot hold me. We love the story of Jesus on the cross when he died. He cried out, Lord, take my spirit. And as he did, the wall in the temple, a curtain wall, split. Because that wall should not be there anymore. We love the idea of the walls. Where's another one? Oh, the wall of Ephesians 2, where it says when Jesus died, he broke down a dividing wall of hostility between fuming groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. He took that wall away. Why? Because walls suck. Sometimes. But walls in and of themselves are not a bad thing, and nor are they a good thing. They're just neutral. They just are. But they're a powerful thing. And like all powerful things, sex, money, walls, words, these things can be either harmful, but they can also be helpful. They can either hurt people or they can bring wholeness and healing to people. Restrictions can be harmful. I can't breathe. Or restrictions can be healthy. Because when you're bleeding, the very thing you need to do is restrict and restrict because restriction brings wholeness. And the story of Nehemiah shows us that there is certainly a time and a place to build secure boundaries, to build secure walls. And my half crowd today said, The idea of separation, boundaries, borders and walls starts all the way back in Genesis. The creation story, day number one, describes it this way. He said, God separated light and darkness. You there, you there. They're separate. Day number two, separated. Water beneath, water above, wall of air in between, you're separate. Day number three, 
Land, you go there. Water, you go there. You're separate. God created by separating. In, uh, in, that, in the Garden of Eden, the Garden, sorry, in Eden had a boundary. The whole world wasn't Eden, but it had a boundary where it was. Within that, there was a garden. That garden had a boundary. When he put Adam in there, he gave him a boundary. Eat that, don't eat that. When Eve came along, it was because God separated her from him. They were one and he took her out and said, now you're you're distinct. That is female and that is male. He separated them before then bringing them together in another kind of way. Abraham, God promises him a promised land, but he gives a boundary to it. He said it will extend from that place to that place. That is the boundary I am giving you. After Exodus, when people go into the promised land and they take possession of what is theirs, the first thing that Joshua does is he separates it into boundaries. Your tribe has that bit. Your tribe has that bit. Your tribe can take that bit. There are boundaries, there are borders. They are separated. Take responsibility for your own patch of earth. And they did. When they went to the promised land and they built their farms, they would use what they call boundary stones to say, my family's border goes here and yours is on that side of the stone, mine's on that side of the stone. And that's why in Deuteronomy, Moses was very strict on making sure people did not move those boundary stones because boundaries can be good. Deuteronomy says this, Deuteronomy 19.14, do not move your neighbor's boundary stone. Don't move your neighbor's boundary stone. It's like today moving your neighbor's fence. You share a fence with a neighbor and you're like, oh, I'd love an extra 10 meters. Rip it up, put it over here. I've got more space now. No, don't do that. That's his space. Don't infringe upon other people's rightful boundaries is the principle. Don't impose your desires where others have set up a boundary to say, actually, this is my space. Thanks for offering, but it's not okay. There's, another, there's a proverb that talks about these boundary stones, Proverbs 22, 28, that says, do not move an ancient boundary stone that your ancestors set up. If your ancestor has a fence line, has a boundary stone, don't just look at it and go, oh, this is a problem, let's move it. No, think, it's there for a reason. Your ancestors thought this thing through. Back in the old days when people actually had time to think things through, right? They thought it through. Don't you go changing what your ancestors have done for so many years so hastily. Understand, your ancestors have a reason for those boundaries. Don't just see a fence and think, borders are bad, walls are bad, take them all down. No, there's wisdom of the ancestors. Don't rush into these things. Psalm 16.6, David sung this, He says, my boundary lines or the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely God has given me a delightful inheritance. Now, I don't know whether he sung this before or after the whole Bathsheba incident. But at some point he came to realize, Psalm 16, God has given me boundaries and those restrictions fall in pleasant places. And my job is not to fall for the trick of Adam 
and go, gee, 99,999 trees I can enjoy, but boy, I want that one. Our, our job is to go, God has given me restrictions. God has placed boundaries. And those boundaries are pleasant and pleasing and they are good for me. I'm going to delight in the boundaries that God has given me. By the time God's people build the city of Jerusalem, the language of walls starts coming in. Ancient cities, of course, relied on walls, just like uh, Middle Earth does, okay? When you watch Lord of the Rings, all the battles are about getting through the city walls, okay? That's exactly what it was like in the ancient world, just not as many orcs. But the point is, although I, I've told you before, I do, when I read the Bible, I, do, I see Philistines and I just picture orcs. I mean, I, the, that's who the Philistines were. Anyway, the point is, they've got big walls in these cities because it ensured the protection of the city, the peace of the city, and the prosperity of the city. Walls became really important. The prophets would often reference the walls of Jerusalem. King David prayed for the, the health of the city walls. Psalm 51, 18, he says, this is David praying, saying, may it please you, Lord, to prosper Jerusalem, prosper Zion, and to build up the walls of Jerusalem. These walls in our city are a good thing. Now, these walls, of course, had gates. You had to be able to get in and out. But those gates were guarded carefully, closed at night for security during the day. Elders of the city would sit there to watch what came in and to watch what came out. I'm aware of what's coming in to our jurisdiction. I'm aware of what's going out. I'm aware of what's coming in. And so the city gates became a meeting place where decisions were made. Ladies, you all know Psalm, no, you all know Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, okay? a wife of noble character, who can find? Well, that proverb talks about her husband. And where is the husband found? It tells us in Proverbs 31, verse uh, 23, it says her husband is respected at the city gate because it's there that he takes his seat among the elders. The city gates is where business was done, decisions were made, the respectable people, because they had a responsibility to watch what came in and watch what went out. If you read the story of Ruth, there's a property transaction that takes place. Boaz goes to the town gates and it's at the gates where the elders gather and he says, I'm going to do a business deal but I need you guys to witness it. It all takes place at the gates. This was the space where things were sanctioned or shunned. That's okay, that's not. These were things, places where things were permitted or denied and the walls around the city served as a sign of safety, security, significance and great strength. The higher the walls, the more safe in the ancient world people saw their city. Okay? And this is why it's a foreign concept to us. I mean, we don't have, you know, walls, tall brick walls like Dubrovnik around our city. But this is very much part of the ancient world. And that's why it was so counterintuitive when Jesus says to his disciples, one day you're going to see Roman armies surround the city of Jerusalem, the Olivet Discourse. And he said, when you see the armies coming towards Jerusalem, you need to do the very opposite of what you think you'd normally do. If Roman armies are coming in to destroy the area of Judah, the natural thing to do is to run into the city, like on Lord of the Rings. Or the, you know, that's the closest thing I've got. People, people run into the city because that's where we're going to be safe and secure. Jesus said, don't do that because this old city is actually going to come down. You need to head for the 
hills. We use that phrase today. That's where it comes from. Head for the hills. It's the opposite of what they do because for them, the city meant safe. Out in the open meant you're out in the open. This is why even to the end of the Bible, Revelation, it talks about the new Jerusalem. Okay, Paul talks about the old Jerusalem, his current Jerusalem, as a picture of the old covenant. The new Jerusalem being a picture of the new covenant, what, what we're in. Even that new Jerusalem picture in Revelation has thick walls, high walls, big walls and strong walls. And it has gates, Revelation 21-25, that says, On no day will those gates be shut. No days where the gates of the new covenant community are open because we're not afraid. We are not afraid. We don't close for business. We don't close for business. What's your point, Chad? From Genesis to Revelation, all the way through the Scripture, Scripture supports the idea of establishing strong boundaries, building secure walls, and guarding gates carefully. And here in the book of Nehemiah, third wave of restoration, we see this restorative community ensuring their boundaries were secure. Tribe by tribe, family by family, man by man, shoulder to shoulder, playing my part to make sure our city is secure. Now, what does that have to do with us? Four areas... I want, would like ask you to consider in our life where we, like Nehemiah, should be concerned about the condition of our walls. And not just be concerned, like when Nehemiah was over here and go, oh, that sounds crap. But be concerned and think about ways we can be part of the solution to helping walls be strong. You with me? Four areas of life where we should give ourselves to strong walls and guarded gates. The first one, I'm going to start big and talk about the nation that we live in. The nation of Australia. I believe we should have a concern about the society and culture at large to which we primarily identify. That we should have concern for the culture, the climate, of Australian society, broadly speaking. Now, I believe we should actively give ourselves to some degree, somehow, in some measure, to have a say in what kinds of ideas and activities are allowed in the gates and promoted within our walls. It matters the kind of nation to which we belong and we should have a heart for our community and our culture at large that says the state of Australian culture matters to me. Like Nehemiah, it concerns me and I want to make sure I play my part in seeing the culture of Australia as healthy and as whole as it can possibly be. It's a big picture view to start with. Here are some currently, what some may describe as controversial, areas of thought discussion points in our community where there is reason for concern within our culture that maybe God will lay on your heart to give yourself to having some part to play. Issues and concerns around things like censorship in our culture. How much ability, how much freedom we have or how much restriction culturally we should have 
on what is allowed to be spoken out loud, on what views are allowed to be shared. That, to me, would seem to be an issue in our nation, the issue of censorship, of sharing ideas and thoughts and opinions, the discussion of how much restriction, how much freedom, that is something in our culture I have myself have some concern about. Issues around the promulgation and promotion of theories and ideas around sexuality and gender. We know these are cultural issues that are being discussed in our community. It should be natural for you to have some kind of concern about those discussions and be part of the solution in them as best you understand it. Issues and discussions around issues regarding race or economics, the environment, issues around the value and dignity of human life. And from the pre-born to those nearing the end of life. You know, remember we had Kevin just a few weeks ago talking about the value and the dignity of those who are near, near death. That should matter to us, how we as a society and a culture view these issues, speak of these issues, and of course, therefore, make policy decisions in these areas. Lastly, the extent of government powers, something we've experienced this year, perhaps more than ever. It should be a concern for us, an issue worth thinking and discussing about the extent in our culture of government powers and how strong or how weak or extensive they are. These are just some of the hot topics in our culture, community, our nation at large, which I believe are worthy of some concern and thought and action as we understand information. Within the walls of our nation, of our culture, how should we deal with these big picture issues? And that's why practically, and you're going to appreciate me today, I've had a, uh, quite a lot on my plate this week. So I may not give heaps of detail today, <laughs> but I've just thought about certain areas where I may have attempted in the years to be part of the solution in these type of areas. I think we can all do something as we inform ourselves and watch our media diet watch how much and where we get our information from on cultural issues. Certainly came to me about four years ago, 2016, where I realized most of my cultural information was coming from one or two media sources. And I was only seeing something one way. And I realized, oh, I actually need to just listen to a few more voices to get a better, broader understanding on some of these cultural issues. It's only been the last couple of years for the first time I actually volunteered at a voting booth for a political party, just handing out flyers. I thought it's part of the election issues at the time were important and concerning enough to me that I thought I'll do my bit to help the party that I thought at that time would reflect my views and opinions. And of course, all of us in some way can kindly, intelligently, calmly and confidently use things like social media to, to stir thoughts in people's minds, or to share the way that you think Australia can be a better culture and a better environment for our kids and next generations to live in. Whatever your views are, form them. Don't just be concerned. Find, like Nehemiah, a way to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. But the issue is this. All of us should, I believe, have some level of concern about the wars of our nation because I want Australia to be the best possible nation she can be. Advance Australia Fair.
Lastly, three, some very more, very quick. Second area that we should be concerned about guarding gates and having strong walls is in our community, where there is face-to-face -face contact, real-life engagement with real-life people. Forget social media, it's not real. I'm talking about real-life face-to-face areas. My school, my church, my shop, my workplace, my business, my sporting club. I believe that, like Nehemiah, we should have a healthy measure of concern for these areas and spheres of influence where we practically know people face to face. Where I can say, my workplace is better because I'm there. It matters to me, the health of my workplace. And dang it, no matter how long I'm here, when I leave, they're going to miss me because I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make sure the values of that workplace are upheld and esteemed and I'm going to pray for the posterity of my jurisdiction. I can't have a say on every business around town, but I can focus on mine and make sure that my workplace is good. I don't have a say on the whole wall around Jerusalem, but I've been allocated this bit. My family, I'm going to deal with this bit. And as far as my workplace goes, we're going to be a rocking workplace. My church is going to be strong. I want the best for every local church in this area, bar none. But I also know that I can't give my energies to every local church. I'm going to make sure that in order for the church to be healthy, I'm going to make sure I fix my part of the wall, the church that God has placed me in, according to the paint colors and the style and the, 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 the quality of the timber that we use in this house. I'm going to make sure that I play my bit there. Personally, over the years, I've taken that attitude and put them into actions. Because attitude is one thing really helpful, actions another. That's why over the years I've served on the, uh, the board or the, the uh, what's it called? The committee of my kids' sporting club for a number of years. Thought, I want that sporting club to be the best it's going to be. I'm going to give it years of service. I'm going to make sure it's good. I did that for our kindy as well. I have subtle ways of doing that in our school. For the time I have an influence here, I'm going to make sure I play my part in making sure this part of the wall is well built. Every place of business has a stated set of values and norms. My job is to guard those gates with whatever measure of authority I have within the walls, to guard those gates and to make sure that the time I'm there, it's better than what it was when I left. Better than what it is before I came, other way around. Thirdly, concern about our nation. Concern about my community, different spheres. Thirdly, concern about my household. Some of you have been to our home years ago. Jay bought one of those canvases to go on the wall that have the, in this house we do. You seen that? We've got one of them. In this house we do. I'm sorry. We do. Fun. We do, etc. There are certain types of language that you can use in your home, but you're not going to use in mine. There's certain volume that you might have in... Your home, I don't care, but you're not going to have that in mine. There are certain times of activity that might be okay in that kid's home, but it's not okay in my kid's home. I don't care what they do in their house. In this house, this is how it is. And that's one of the privileges and responsibilities of us parents. When this isolation just kicked in a few days ago, and the first thing we did, what was the first day? Tuesday, it was going to be Tuesday morning. Grabbed a piece of paper Black texter, huh? Thursday, piece of oh, it's all got gone in. Piece of paper, black texter, and we wrote up meal times where everyone in our house was going to be technology free, without question. 
No one is allowed on technology between that hour, between that hour and a half, and between that hour. Parents, kids, no matter who you are, that's the rules in this house. And I'm, it went really well. Because we had boundaries for that time. And we, I mean, we have ongoing boundaries about technology. But it's just one example of saying, have boundaries. They are healthy. That restriction can be good. And it meant that uh, one of the kids walloped me in Cluedo, over, uh, <laughs> which, was, uh, which was a fun thing. But this is a responsibility. In their household, it might be okay if their kids smoke dope with their parents. It might be okay if in that house, if they do that at dinner time or they don't have a dinner time or whatever it is. But in my house, kids, in our house, this is what we do. Boundaries in my house. Lastly, I've got to move. What? I do. Hey. Lastly, I'm concerned about the walls and the gates of my nation, my community, my household, and lastly, my body, which ultimately is his temple. To be aware and responsible for what I allow, I allow in through the gate of my eyes, what I allow in through the gate of my ears, and what I allow into my body through the gate of my mouth, what I eat and what I drink. To be concerned and aware and responsible for what I allow to make home in this city. You can't stop the birds from flying over your city, but you can stop them from landing and making a nest. There's certain information that will come to you that you wish you didn't hear, but it's too late. But you can dictate how long that information turmoils your mind and your heart. Personally, this week when lockdown was announced, I got really ticked off. I was angry. But I know enough over the years to know that anger is not a particularly strong, uh, constructive emotion for me to hold on to. So I realized I've got angry. For some time alone, get my heart rate down. I'm not going to allow that anger to build a house in my city, within my walls. It came in, but it can lead it out through the back gate now, thank you very much, while I get on with being a restorative person that I need to be. Incidentally, when lockdown was lifted, I got angry too. <laughs> I did. I just set my mind. This is what's happening for six days. I put a notice out to say, there's no church on Sunday. I'm going to be doing it from home. I put the video up. This is what we're doing. I put effort into that. Finally, I made a decision. It's all good. Ten minutes later, it all changes. And he says, like, damn you. I, I want to stay at home for six days. <laughs> like, oh. And then... I realized, no, calm down. I'm an internal processor. I need a time on my own. Come out. Now I can look at moving forward. Proverbs 25. The point is this. You, your body is your responsibility. It's his temple. You watch what comes in. You watch what goes out. You watch what makes a home within your walls. Proverbs caps it all off by saying this. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls have been broken through is a person who lacks self-control. There it is. Our broken walls mean that anything comes in, anything comes out. Anything comes in, anything comes out. It's out of my control. No, self-control, fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes, for some of us, we gain control by outwardly processing <laughs> with a spouse or a close one. For some of us, we gain control by disappearing in the shed for an hour and just going, hmm, thinking, <laughs> being on our own, don't talk to me, I'll work it out. I just, whatever way that does, self-control guarding the walls of your city. 
The books of Ezra and Nehemiah, there are three waves of restoration. Worship, the Word, and building strong walls for an enduring city. And like the men who made those moves, like the people who played their part, each of us should commit ourselves to being a man and a woman of worship. To being a man or a woman of the Word. And to be a man or a woman who builds strong walls and guards gates and take that responsibility in different areas of our life. I bless you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that it finds good soil. It is a privilege to be in your house today. It is a privilege to be your house today, to be your holy city where gates remain open. And we thank you for your protection, peace and prosperity upon your city in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au and of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.